I'm Lisa Bontesumi, and this is the Ath Mindset podcast series on sports epreneur. This podcast series is a space for conversations with athletes, coaches, practitioners, and stakeholders in sports. And it's where those individuals share their perspectives, experiences, and thoughts on mental health in sports. Eric Kazimoff of Sports Epreneur is generously hosting the Ath Mindset podcast series on his platform as he deeply believes that these conversations are essential and deserve to be prioritized. This is the Ath Mindset podcast series on Sports Epreneur. Sports Epreneur, the content platform where sports, entrepreneurship, and mental health collide. If you are looking to start a podcast or create original content, you have to talk with the team at Sports Epreneur. I work with them and I vouch for them. It's that simple. Go to sportse.io to learn more. Alisa, oh my God, I can't believe we are finally laying eyes on her. I know, after all these months, to actually see you and like your face is moving. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. And I get to see your expressions. But Alisa, in an informal way, but you are Dr. Alisa R. Cherry. And I know that you are a woman of many, many gifts and identities who served multiple roles in your life. How would you describe yourself to a group of people who haven't had the pleasure to meet you yet? Oh, goodness. Well, I usually start off with letting them know that I see myself as African-American woman of Latina descent. I see myself as a change agent and I see my purpose is to be one where I'm not the voice for the voiceless, but I am a platform for people who will be able to speak more. So I look forward to change agency and the responsibility we have for our community. With that, I am also the education ambassador for the United States of America and the Federative Republic of Brazil. And in this capacity, I am not only the mother of a polo player, but I am also the designated campus liaison for Morehouse Polo Club. Wow. And much more, more, I'm sure. Oh, definitely. Definitely, yes. That's a lot. Well, I mean, I want to hear about what an education ambassador does. You said for the UN and Brazil? Well, for the United States and Brazil, yes. Tell me what that means or what does that entail? Oh, yes, sure thing. So I am a part of an organization called Partners of the Americas. It was started by President Kennedy as a way to connect North American provinces and states with Latin American countries and states as well. It was a part of something called the Alliance for Progress, which was not successful. However, Partners has remained. There are, I believe, 88 chapters and there are a number of student chapters. I live in Georgia, in Atlanta, in the Atlanta area. and Side note, I'm super happy about (laughs) our political results right now. But anyhow, Georgia is partnered with a state in Northeast Brazil called Pernambuco. And I was able to visit Pernambuco in 2019 before the pandemic. I was able to connect with a number of educators and a number of community agents who live in Recife, which is the capital. And As a result of the partnership that we have in Pernambuco, as well as some of the work that I was able to participate in in South Central Brazil at the Federal University of Goiás in Goiânia, I was given that designation. That pretty much means that when there are people who want to do some type of partnership here in the United States, they contact me and I'm able to connect them with an organization or an individual here. The most recent one that I'm working on right now is to get a, a group of football fans in Brazil and actually in Pernambuco to connect with Hoodie Mob, which is the, it's kind of like the pep rally group, the community support group of Atlanta United, which is part of our soccer team here. That's so cool. Yes, yes. And close to my heart because soccer is my thing. Okay. Yeah. So... Wait a minute. So the reason why I wanted to make sure I had to elaborate on that, mm-hmm. is that I invited you here 
as a mom of a collegiate athlete, but I wanted everyone to also know, as is the case with many moms, that we do a lot of things besides parent our kids, right? Like you are a successful woman in your own right. And so for people to hear that is super important. And for people to hear it from your own words, how you describe yourself is super important. So thank you for your openness and being willing to do that. Oh, sure. And since we're talking about what I do professionally, that I also have a salary position with an organization called Gradient Learning. I am the elementary lead. Gradient Learning seeks to transform education. We work with about 80,000 students nationwide in grades four through 12 and based in the Bay Area, but we still are able to work remotely. So yeah, I do that too. Yes. And I love it. I love Gradient. Well, we're definitely going to have to somehow collaborate because I don't know if you know, because I'm in the Bay Area. And really? I'm in the Bay Area and I'm the mental health and sport performance specialist for the Oakland Roots mm. soccer club mm. here. So we have a lot more in alignment with ourselves than I think we even realize. Most so definitely. Must keep talking for sure. But let's talk about what I do know about you and what I think is super special is, and I will have you elaborate on it, is that you have a son, Caleb, his third year at Morehouse, and he is on the polo team. And if I'm not mistaken, has been the captain over most of those years, if not all of them. And what is an HBCU, much less Morehouse, doing with a polo team? And we're talking the polo with a horse. Yes. Uh, if you can right? see the there logo. Yes. Bam, there's the logo. Like, tell me how this happened. And maybe even Caleb's journey towards it being a collegiate sport for him. Yes. Caleb has been riding horses for almost as long as he could remember. We started volunteering at Zoo Atlanta as family volunteers because he really loved animals. He was able to read before he could even walk because we were spending so much time in the zoo looking at maps. He was able to you know, decode and figure out, but we just spent so much time there. And by the time he was six or seven, I said, you know, it's time for him to get involved with some type of sports. It's wonderful that we're doing this this community work. We were doing a lot of things with our Jack and Jill chapter here in Atlanta. And I just wanted to try to find something. I love baseball. Baseball was not his thing. I am five, one and a half. So football was not going to be his thing. (laughs) So we had to, you know, just try to figure out something that was going to work. So we started with dressage in Southeast Atlanta, and he was riding horses there and helping with the farm animals that are at Illinois Equestrian Center, had a really good time there. And finally, he said, you know what? There are a lot of girls and this is really slow, even though it was difficult. And it was just funny because when he was in high school, he ended up playing polo with mostly girls. But anyhow, decided, okay, well, let's see if there's something else we can look at. So we went to a polo game, a polo match that was in the kind of like northwest side of Atlanta proper. And he said, you know, these horses look like they're really enjoying themselves. What is this? I was like, well, we're watching a polo game. And he said, you know, they're not using the whip. They're not using the crop because I love horse racing. And he said he wanted to try it out. And that was nine years ago. Yeah, it was about nine years ago that he had his passion for polo. So when it came time for like eight, eight, nine, 10, right, right. Around nine or 10. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so when it came time for him to select schools, I thought he was going to Emerson, which is up in Boston. So I'm preparing for my child to go to the other side of the country without me. Mm -hmm. And he decided to go to Morehouse. He said that the data shows that that was an excellent place for African-American men. And we have a very ingrained passion for HBCUs. My great-grandfather was in the Cherokee class of 1900. Mm. My co-parent, Caleb's father, can say the same thing as far as his HBCU lineage, and he went to Morehouse. And so Caleb is now this fifth generation to go to an HBCU on both sides of his family. So we were overjoyed about that, but also realized that by him leaving interscholastic, which is for high school age, into college, 
he wouldn't be able to play anymore with a lot of his teammates. Mm -hmm. Caleb graduated at 16. So he was already younger than a lot of his school classmates, but he still wanted to have something. So in June of 2019, I actually went because he was working at City Hall. And so I was able to have a speakerphone conversation, but he virtually met with Dr. Thomas, the president of Morehouse College, who said, okay, you know what? We have lacrosse. We had, at one time, they were putting a rugby team together. They have a lot of different sports. They have a wrestling team. And he said, okay, we can definitely do polo, but it's going to have to be something that the club is able to sustain outside of Morehouse. And there were a number of reasons for that. One of them is that since the United States Polo Association is the legal entity for intercollegiate polo, those students who are part of USPA cannot be a part of NCAA, which is where the majority of the sports funding was coming from, from Morehouse being a private institution. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the other part is when people hear polo, they get really intimidated and they think, oh my goodness, the sport is, it's elite. We don't do this. There are just so many misconceptions. And he just knew that it was going to be difficult to expect the trustees and administration to start funding a sport of which they were not familiar. Yeah. Yeah. But and so... did it. So... Yeah. <laughs> I mean, exactly. And so we both know that Polo is a non-traditional African-American sport. And Morehouse is a historically Black college. How did he have people join? Like the team, was it also non-Morehouse students because it was a club level? Or like, how did that work? Well, because of the fact that Morehouse is a male institution, they were not able to have co-ed teams and co-ed practices. But Caleb was able to start small and work his way up. He started by hosting an informational on campus at the beginning of the school year. He had one of his friends who came in. I, at the time, since I was still in my momager mode, I was sending things out to the moms of Morehouse Facebook group and to different emails saying, hey, if you would like your son involved with this, go ahead. This is going to be a wonderful opportunity. There was already so much support from the polo community. And it just so happened that since Caleb was practicing not too far away from the campus. The designated polo field happened to be the field that he had played on all this time. So he was able to give a lot of background information. Like, yeah, like the coach that he has now is the same person who has been able to see him start with polo from literally day one. Wow. I'm happy about that. Right. So, you know, he was able to really bring in some personal experiences about what polo is like. So he was able to start with himself and one other student. The polo team was welcomed in October 2019 and made publicly official November 17th, 2019. And they have grown from being a team of four because there was a fourth student who joined in early October to now they have, I believe, seven students. You need a minimum of three students at the collegiate level to play a match. So right now they're in a place where they can do scrimmages together. They have been able to talk together in fellowship. They've been able to meet a number of polo players, professional polo players at that, who have given them really great advice. Right now, we just got to raise the money first, get on the horse a second. Yeah. Well, how was it fellowshipping and the the scrimmaging and the, the sort of bond that the players have? How was that during COVID? It was... Interesting, because we were able to start the club and start the season in 2019, which means there was no COVID. So they were able to form relationships, team relationships with each other. They were able to form team relationships with Emory University, Mm -hmm. who also operates out of the Atlanta Regional Polo Center. And they were able to play Emory. They were able to scrimmage with the University of Virginia. They were able to scrimmage with the University of Kentucky, I believe. Mm -hmm. And so they were already able to see what it was like to use their voices, to shout out, to say, hey, you need to do this, you need to do that. When COVID hit, it was a really unusual time for all of us because it happened in March and it happened during the time that the students were on spring break. Mm -hmm. At times, yeah, exactly. So that time period between 
coming back from spring break and the end of the year was really unusual and very unstable. Jolie Liston, who is actually the owner of Atlanta Regional Polo Center, and like I said, now she's the current coach, was able to still organize the summer season, which took place on the field starting in May. And this is 2020. And she allowed the students to come back and they were still able to play and they were able to practice with the rest of the polo players and the families in Atlanta. So that was really helpful. Unfortunately, and they were able to practice for a few times in fall of 2020. And then at the beginning of 2021, in January of 2021, United States Polo Association decided that it was just not going to be safe at the time for their students to play. So they started virtual competitions. They had a tournament and Morehouse won second place in the trivia, the trivia tournament. They had different activities and different things that the students were able to do across the country virtually. Wow. Yeah. So USPA, I'm I'm really proud of United States Polo Association and the patience of Jolie Liston to get the students to still be involved and still be engaged. Unfortunately, since we've not been able to raise the funds we needed to, the students have not been able to practice on horses during fall semester. So they've been able to meet, they've been able to talk about what they need to do as a club because we're also considering, you know, how are we going to get this funding? How are we going to make sure we're sustainable? And one thing that Caleb and now the president of the club, Edmund Jackson, one thing that they realize is that they're not going to be there for a long time. The plan is to be in and out of school in four years. Yeah. So what's going to happen in three years time? Yeah. What's going to happen in five years time? We want to get ourselves as stable as Yale. Polo Club, who has been very helpful and very supportive in getting us back on track. And we want to make sure that people understand that polo is a sport that is attainable. Polo is an international sport. So to say that it is a white sport is extremely inaccurate. Mm. And that there are so many networking opportunities and things that people can develop and grow and create by being a part of that community. No, that's great. I think there are a lot of misconceptions and a lot of myths and stereotypes about what kind of college has a polo team and then what kind of athlete plays polo. Right. Is that even right? Is it plays polo? Yes, yes. Yes, you play polo. Yes. (laughs) And usually I hear, wait, your son plays polo on a horse? Those are the two phrases that I usually hear. I'm like, yep. Yes. yes. I was even questioning if, if my verbiage was right because that's how uninformed I am. But I'm learning so much and I have learned so much from you. But I think there's a way, you know, and you and I have talked about this a little bit that sport mimics life, but also sport can be a way to, as you put it, be a platform for change. Yes. And for representation, visibility in a way that might not be. And so, I mean, you're a change agent, you're raising a change agent. Like, how do you view like all the leadership that he has put into place to actually create this and change the misconceptions by playing the sport that he loves? Like, it's so cool and amazing. And he was so young when he did it. He's still young. But... How do you wrap your heart around this? What do you think about, you know, how do you view the change that's happening? Right. So I want to go back a couple of years to an experience that he had and then an experience when I was in Brazil that I had during his first year at Morehouse. In the summer of 2018, I presented at an international conference. It was not the first time I went to an international conference, but it was the first time that I took my children with me. I have Caleb and then I have his sister who is 10 years younger. When I say I take them everywhere, I take those kids everywhere. And I realized I enjoyed the international conference because it was the first time I went to a conference where I could not pronounce everybody's name. I feel like if I can pronounce everyone's name and if everyone is speaking my language, this may not be the proper representation you want for something that's supposed to be international. But in here, in this space, It was different. However, I realized something. I looked around and I said, I was the only Black American who was at this conference. 
Caleb was one of two Black American young men who were at the conference. The other one was a volunteer. So I realized, wow. And likewise with my daughter, she was the only Black girl at this conference, Black American girl. And I said, wow, that pretty much means that if I wasn't here, the people who were coming from all of these different countries, I mean, hundreds of countries, we had so many translators, they would not understand the Black American experience. Mm. And because we were going to be completely absent from the picture. The exact same thing happened when I was in Brazil. And it was amazing because there were so many concepts in Brazil as far as what Blackness is. The fact that many of them call themselves African-American because, yeah, that's South America, just like this is North America. Uh They call themselves African-American. But again, I was still the only Black American from the United States at this conference. And again, I was like, Mm -hmm. if I wasn't here, there would be no representation. So Caleb has seen these things and he has seen what it's like to realize, wow, if we don't hold this space, we would be completely absent from the picture. And I believe that having his experiences as a teen officer and then a regional teen officer within Jack and Jill and also having these moments where we get to travel and we get to to take trips, like we went to Cuba in 2017 and people were like, oh, wow, because we weren't tourists. Well, we were tourists when you think about it, but we weren't on a cruise. We weren't in a hotel. We were staying at somebody's house and the power was going out every day. But just being able to see and people were able to talk to an African-American teenager for the first time in their lives. I think having those spaces has had Caleb realize, you know what? If I don't do it, it may not get done. And it's kind of, I don't want to say forced him, but it's kind of guided him to say, hey, this is something I love, guys. Hey, you're going to be on the field and you may want to learn another language if you're not fluent because when these people are in it, they're not going to speak English if it's not their primary language. They may be telling you to look out for a ball in Igbo. They might be talking to you in Spanish. And then, oh, if it's Spanish, Puerto Rican Spanish is not the same as Venezuelan Spanish, is not the same as Mexican Spanish. Brazilian Portuguese. Yeah, it's Portuguese, but even still, Brazilian Portuguese, that's not the Portuguese from Portugal. Spanish is going to be different in Argentina, and Argentinians are ruling the game right now. So just realizing that there are going to be so many dynamics with language and so many dynamics with visibility are things that I think has really helped Caleb with those leadership skills. No, that's amazing. Those are life-changing experiences. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, able definitely. to travel, be at these conferences. And you know that. You know, that's why you took them. I mean, a big part of why you took them. Right. Maybe necessity too, because that's the life that we live sometimes. But like, what a way to educate. It's not in the classroom. This is experiential. This is living it, being in it, being immersed in it. Yep. I was just about to say experiential learning. Sometimes that's the best way for us. I think so. Mm-hmm. I think so. We remember it. We it sticks more than just like a cognitive process. It's like a full holistic experience that is sticks with you. Right. So. And one thing I love, and here's my educator. <laughs> you said experience learn. I was like, yes, that's it. But one other thing that I appreciated about our experiences and not taking anything away from people who do the guided tours and things like that, but it forced us to develop relationships. We still keep in touch. The person we stayed with, we call him Tia Jorge and we talk to him. The person back in 2017, at the time my daughter was four, she still remembers them. Why? Because we keep in touch. As far as the people who I connected with in Brazil, some of them are my closest friends and we're still able to talk about our experiences. And Caleb can say, oh, well, if I need to ask somebody about something that's going on in Lagos, I can just pick up my phone. I can just check my email and talk to somebody. Those relationships are so important. So important. Very, very Um, invaluable. And even they're still so young, but who knows what it can become as you continue to nurture them, give to them, receive from them. It's just amazing. Yeah. And people travel differently and experience it differently. But I think what you're talking about is coming in with that humility that you want to learn, that you don't want people to adapt to you because you're American. 
that you want to go in and learn and immerse and be involved. That like the world does not revolve around the USA. And I put my emoji up. Yes. <laughs> but you're absolutely right. We really have to get out of, and it's difficult for us to realize that, oh, America, we're not the end all. There are people who do things outside of us. And since I have it in my head about education in Cuba, I'll go back to that experience. Mm -hmm. And I did decide on one day, I was like, we're going to be tourists. We're going to take the classic car and we're going to do the little official tour and go to these places, which was an experience with itself. It wasn't you know, what I was dealing with in the neighborhood, but it was cool. And one of the questions I asked the tour guide was, when did you allow women to go to school? And she was insulted. I had to apologize. But she was insulted because she said, what do you mean? We've always been allowed to have education. And I had to explain to her, I said, well, in the United States, in our Ivies, that wasn't always the case. And she was just so surprised. She was like, we've always been. And that's also why, yeah, that's also why Havana doesn't have a lot of statues dedicated to a group of women. They don't acknowledge a group of women because the women are in the statues. The women are in the history. The women are already included. So there are some things that we can learn. Absolutely. United States of America. There's some things we can learn. (laughs) For real. I mean, like, it's interesting. So we haven't talked about this, but my mom's Filipino and my dad is white. He can go back a few generations in the States and then he has some Dutch ancestry. Mm -hmm. And so my mom is an immigrant from the Philippines. And so that being raised as first generation and that way I was born in the Philippines and came here as a young kid, but often go back and to be able to bring my daughter now has gone and to be served first. We did a medical mission first and then we had a little bit of our vacation. So we give back to our country. That's super important. And I think that as a mixed race person, you go through that identity sort of process slash potential crisis when you're in your like teenhood, early adulthood. And when I went away to college, I didn't have that bridge of my mom like attached to me like, oh, if you're Cynthia's daughter, then you are Filipino. So we get that. But like going to college, you don't got your parent right there. And so everybody was like, who are you and where do you fit? And I tried to go to the Filipino places. They said, no, La Raza and BSU's over there. I'm like, huh? Oh, wow. To not be seen by my own people was quite the experience. But what happened though was that a group of people that were not of my biological makeup were the ones who showed me love, who showed me acceptance, who opened their homes to me. And that's the African-American people. My work study boss was African-American. She still is. She's still alive, Christine. And she invited me to to her home and to her church and to her children's lives. And she was my second mom away from home. And so... I've learned so much about the culture and the people. I pledged Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. Okay. And so like... I did not, but it's okay. This is the only color of this you'll ever see me near, but that's okay. You don't need to tell me what you did. So anyway, (laughs) but in some ways, not that I needed it, but formalized my ongoing commitment to African-American people, African-American community. And so... When I talk about this, I feel like you're my sister. And even though we don't share the same biology. And so when I'm talking about these things, it's so, so important. And so I guess I say all that to say that I just really appreciate who you are and the humans that you're raising and the impact that you're making. I mean, not just in your communities, but globally, really. Yes, I really appreciate that. Thank you. And another time I would love to be back on so we could talk about the dynamics between the Asian Pacific Islander community and the African-American community, because there are pockets where we depend on each other in the most necessary of ways. It's not what the media... I don't want to say anything bad about the media because media can be used for good, as we can see, but there's a misconception that we are constantly at conflict with each other. And yeah, no, that's not everybody's experience at all. We know where that's coming from. Oh, of course. Yeah. (laughs) Of course we know that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but to dig in and dive into that would be awesome. Mm -hmm. awesome. So when we talk about like Kayla being able to navigate 
his collegiate world. I mean, his childhood up to then with your guidance and you're still guiding him through his collegiate career, but such leadership, such innovation, such creativity. How does he stay mentally healthy? Like, what does he do? And what maybe do you do as a family to prioritize that and make that happen and pour into that for yourself? So I'm going to show our vulnerability, but I've realized that the more we talk about situations and the more we're able to normalize situations, the better we will all be. Yes. I was diagnosed with depression and anxiety some years back. Like I said, my co-parent, who is like the most awesome person in the world, he struggles with addiction issues with alcohol. And Caleb was diagnosed with ADHD when he was 10, right before he was 10. And he also is uh, working through depression and anxiety. So the one thing that we will all say, and my daughter has some anxiety issues too, we will all say therapy is a thing in our household. Even though... (laughs) Even when co-parent doesn't live with us, but we will be like, hey, I just had a really great session with my therapist. Mm-hmm. Hey, my therapist ate me up and chewed me out. I need to take a nap. <laughs> but it's just so important to make sure that you acknowledge the situation, the circumstances that you're in, that you seek that support, just like how You won't be able to make it in your career without a mentor and a coach. Mm -hmm. You can't Mm -hmm. expect to develop to be your full self unless you have somebody who's coaching you through. So it's important for us to talk about that. Those are situations that unfortunately we see a lot in both of our communities, but especially Mm -hmm. with our African-American males, boys and men, we see a lot of those situations where they need that coaching and they need that support. And unfortunately, they don't have it. One of the first things that we did after we found out that Caleb was going to Morehouse, and yeah, and his dad was here for this, now I think about it, is that we went to see his campus advisor. Mm -hmm. We actually met his campus advisor in May. Mm -hmm. And then as soon as we left the campus advisor, we went to the disabilities counselor and got a chance to meet the disabilities counselor in May. So even before he was able to talk with the president about polo even before he got on campus. We were talking, making sure that there was open dialogue. Because of the fact that I went to Spelman and March at Morehouse, I know a lot of the people who are on campus. So therefore, there were a lot of people already on campus who knew Caitlin, mm-hmm. who were able to create this village for him that lets him know that he is not siloed, he is not by himself, and there are people he can lean on. Now, is he always leaning on them? Is he always reaching out to mentors and people like that? No, because he's 19 and we shouldn't expect, you know, as soon as you give a solution, we shouldn't expect, okay, we got it. It's done. That's just like how, yes, I know that this Brazilian soda that's next to me has a lot of sugar. And yeah, my doctor said, don't drink it. But guess what I'm about to do as soon as we finish? <laughs> so there are just a couple, you know, there are just some things that you shouldn't expect your students, especially as we're talking about our student athletes. We shouldn't expect it to be done, boom, overnight change. It doesn't work like that. And especially when you have those athletes who have not only their sport as a way to release a lot of that tension, a lot of that anxiety, it gives them a chance to change those brain patterns to something more calming. And then to have to experience a pandemic where you're not necessarily able to, we have to remember that it's going to be a process and it's not going to be a cakewalk. That's one thing that I will say as far as mental health and the pandemic, going back to what you said about COVID, it has been really difficult Mm -hmm. to realize that, wow, we can't just get up one morning and go down the street. No, you got to make sure that your COVID test is here. Unfortunately, my daughter tested positive and she was sick from October to November, right? This is her first full week back to school since mid-October. So, you know, just realizing, oh, you have to do this, you have to do this. You got to make sure that people have their masks on. Oh, you got to make sure that they're vaccinated. Oh, if you're not vaccinated, well, that might change my whole writing schedule. It might change what I'm going to do. As far as fundraising, it's been really difficult trying to fundraise when you can't see the students on a horse. And 
having the meet and greets and having things happen. For example, I'm not allowed on campus because they're only allowing faculty, staff, and students on campus. So having major sponsors come on campus, yeah, that's not going to happen right now. So things like that really make sure you understand that looking at mental health is a very important thing right now. And thank you so much for everything you said, especially the vulnerability of sharing your family's experience. I think that's so important. Not everybody does. They don't have the same outlook as you as far as this is what we need to do is keep talking about it. Yeah. So it becomes more normalized and more like that mental health is just as important as physical health and financial health, spiritual health. Sure. You know, it's a part of us, right? And so I love the analogy of in the career world, we need a coach and a mentor. Why not for our optimal mental health to have that person? And really what you're talking about is having a relationship mm-hmm. who has an expertise, someone who has an expertise in that area of your well-being. You know, your career is an area of your well-being. So you have a, an executive coach, business coach there. And then why not someone who's coaching you through your emotions, your behaviors, your thoughts that help you make the best decisions for yourself right. and your family. Right. So I love the way you were talking about that. It's so important. And I think that I know as you know, that even when you have a mental health diagnosis like yourself or your children or your co-parent, that there's a continuum even within the diagnosis of functioning, right? There's mild, moderate, and severe within even within the diagnosis, just as there is a continuum from mental health to a mental health disorder. There's that continuum, right? Mm -hmm. So people can be very, very functional and have a mental health diagnosis and be very functional because they're doing what they need to do to take care of themselves. Oh yeah. Just like someone who has diabetes can be very functional because they're following what they're supposed to do per their doctor, right? And so same with mental health. So I really appreciate, again, you sharing and the opportunity to discuss this openly. It's yes. so important. Thank you. Yes, I believe it is. And like I said, you know, just removing the stigma of not speaking about it, I think it's helpful and is encouraging, not just for others who may be experiencing it yourself, but also for you to be able to explain what's going on in your personal life and your personal journey and how you are growing from that. You're talking about having to function. I just became a doctor this year. I defended in the spring. Uh, and But yeah, so... I was going through my mental diagnoses and going through my mental treatment at the same time that I was doing something that is so difficult. So yeah, it's possible to function. It's possible to have those mental challenges. And it's really important for people who have those to have an outlet. Yes. And sports in this particular case is his outlet. No, it's amazing. Yeah, I think... Whether we realize it or not, athletes really depend on their sport to cope a lot of times. Like you say, it's their outlet, it's their release, it's their way to be themselves and actually be fully seen in that identity. Because there's many more identities, but in that identity. So so you're saying Caleb does that too. That's what Caleb does. Yes, he does. He does. And it, it started with, I'm going back to high school again, it started with joining the chess club at his school, Fulton Leadership Academy. And one thing that I learned while he was playing chess is that once the game is done, once that match, once that competition you have with that one other chess player is done, you have to clear your mind and reset because it's not like you have a first quarter or second quarter, not take anything bad about that because I love American football. Like that's my jam. But you have the first quarter and then whatever you do in the first quarter builds up from the second and the third and the fourth. No, with chess, that one single game is isolated from the other ones. You can't be upset about what happened in the game before because it's going to mess up what's going on. So chess has helped him process and it's helped him compartmentalize. So he's like, you know, I'm upset. I'm not happy about this. I'll still write down my notes in my code book and I'll look at this later and I'll learn from this later. Right now, I need to make sure that I don't let those negative emotions or even the positive emotions impact this 
present game because this has nothing to do with that. No, that's such an important skill. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, as a sport performance specialist, I teach that skill of being able to, of any athlete at any level, at any sport, to be able to leave it where it is, that play, that quarter, that half, whatever, leave it. And yeah, stay as even as possible. Don't be over-celebrating and stay there too long and don't be too down and stay there too long either. We can acknowledge it. And like you said, put it away and it's for later to process. Right. And then we're on to the next. Right. So. You just have to make sure that they actually process it. That's one thing I think as adults and in our generation, we were told to just keep moving, keep moving, keep moving. And so now we have this big old room of unprocessed stuff that has grown and developed into other things. So this is good. This is really good for this group of students and generations who are coming up. Definitely. Yeah. Our grandkids maybe will be talking about this just like us every day. Exactly. Mm -hmm. That's what we want. Exactly. Yep. That's the goal. That's the goal. So what do you do on a you and your family? What do you do on a regular basis to make sure that your mental health is as solid as possible? Are there any rituals, routines, or like things that you do? Okay, so I can talk about pre-pandemic and I can talk about pandemic because, and then I have to talk about post-PhD because all of those are very different. Yeah. (laughs) Pre-pandemic, we would make sure that we had some type of night where we left everything. Of course, I still have my devices, but we would just leave things aside and we would go get something to eat. We have particular places that we love, little restaurants, mom and pop restaurants that we love to go to. And I had a part-time job at Starbucks at the time that I had Caleb. So even just getting something from Starbucks in the morning and just sitting together was really, really a bright spot. Okay, so now going to the pandemic, because that's when Caleb moved back, because I'm like, there's no reason for us to spend all this money if you're 30 minutes away from the campus. That's like 20,000 that we don't have to spend. So during the pandemic, before May, we would at least have one night where we would have a movie night. Usually on Fridays, it was either Wednesday or Fridays, we would have a movie night. And now that I have more time, and now that we are not dealing with mom's dissertation and staying up until whenever, we still have those. Nandi will randomly come up and say, hey, let's play a game. So we'll go downstairs. I think we did this uh, two days ago. Just play a game. We will cook together sometimes. We will still go to little shop here and there. So it's not necessarily a routine, Mm -hmm. but I think the routine is making sure that we end up doing something every week. And, you know, we did Ghostbusters At one time, I felt like I had failed as a parent because my child had never seen Coming to America. (laughs) So I was like, okay, let me pray on this. And then we're going to start watching some classics, Uh you know, some things that I believe he needed to see. Uh Uh No, I think think that what you're saying is, is that intentional time to be together in the moment. Yes. Yes. No matter what it is, I mean, it was Starbucks for you at one point, it was movie night, but I think the fact that you have been intentional about, you know, what's important for me and my family is to have that uninterrupted time together Yes, is super important. It's super important. And so, I mean, I think that's one of the tenets of positive mental health, optimal mental health is to know what you need, mm-hmm. set boundaries with it and protect it. Oh, I love that. I love it. I love it. Wow. We could talk for hours. I know. I just look at the time like, really? Is that that right? Yeah, that's right. We're having our next talk. I know, right? But while I have you here, I've been asking you all these questions. Is there anything that you want to make sure you talk about? I mean, I want you to talk about how if any of our listeners want to donate and support Polo at Morehouse, how they can do that. I definitely want you to share that. But is there anything else that you want to make sure you mention or share or discuss before we say goodbye today? Yes, most definitely. In addition to me being a, goodness, an elementary lead for gradient learning, in addition to me connecting people from Brazil and the United States, all that to be said, I do a whole lot of stuff. But one thing I try my best to make sure 
when I'm interacting with college students because I also do things separate from polo with both Morehouse and Spelman colleges is that it's really important for students to keep their own narrative and keep their voice. I want to try to be as vague as possible because I really want to focus in on what the students are doing now. But we found ourselves in a situation where there was someone who was going to support the club mm-hmm. and the narrative got turned from support to I don't know how to say this, but pretty much we didn't have a memorandum of understanding. And this person ended up taking money from the team that really should have gone directly to Morehouse College, should have gone directly to the club. And I can only get but so upset about the situation until I realized, well, we had nothing in writing. So this person's concept of what a sponsor is, is different from the concept that I have of a sponsor. So We never discussed what those agreements would be as a sponsor. So as a result, we are now in a situation where, like I said, we're trying to raise money. We're trying to get money. Now the students are understanding the importance of telling their story and not necessarily having somebody else say it for them while they just stand and smile. It's not just a part of being an athlete, because you are going to have a lot of supporters. That's how sports works, especially here in the United States. You have to have support. So it's not just about that, but it's just a matter of holding your own space and telling your own story. And when somebody is not telling your story correctly, you don't just stand there and say, okay, I'm going to handle it later. You make sure that it is said right then and there. It's just like how if my name is not said correctly, I should not just sit there and smile and let somebody just say it. I did that. And for 10 years, there's somebody who was calling me the wrong name. And I just dealt with it. That should not happen. And I wonder sometimes, Lisa, if you've had that same experience where people are mispronouncing your name, we have to stop it right there and say, no, that's not my name. This is what I need for you to say. Mm -hmm. So... As men of Morehouse, because they're not Morehouse men until they graduate, but as men of Morehouse, they are working on having their place and making sure that they tell their experience the way they want to hear it. So yeah, that's super important. And just so you know, people know, a lot of times I will reach out and talk to people and say, hey, I'd really love for you to get your perspective for the Morehouse Club. I'd love for you to interview them. I'd love for you to do this and that. And then when they start asking me about specifics, well, what exactly should the club talk about? Well, when is the club available? That's when I say, you know what? That's not me. You need to speak with the club. And all the students, all the club members are linked to the email account. So they are all open and available for conversations. They may be contacted at morehousepolo at gmail.com. They are active on social media. So if you go to at Morehouse Polo Team on Instagram, you can find them. And when you go there, you'll see their link tree where you'll be able to support by ordering one of their shirts. They have Oxfords and t-shirts. You are able to donate through their cash app, which is dollar sign MH Polo. And if you go to Morehouse's giving page, not the Giving Tuesday, but their standard Morehouse giving page and go to click the designation, you'll find Morehouse listed under their designations. The good thing about donating through Morehouse's page is that since we operate under Morehouse's 501 status, those donations qualify for matching gifts and they can also be tax deductible. And for those people who give to HBCUs regularly and to give to Morehouse regularly, this counts for their annual giving. So yes, we're we're definitely hoping for some funding. We definitely thank the United States Polo Association because the students are brand ambassadors. And so they were able to receive a grant with that. Dick Sporting Goods, We'll be premiering some information about Morehouse College pretty soon. So we're happy to have that support. But we definitely need more support to just have something that is sustainable for after these students leave. No, I'm sorry. After these students matriculate and become Morehouse. (laughs) Had to use that word, matriculate. Matriculate. (laughs) Matriculate. Yes. Oh my God. That was all really super important. Thank you for sharing all that. And I mean, I think it's another example of how we learn. Mm-hmm. We we learn when we feel something that isn't right and we want to understand it and empower ourselves to be curious and to 
be like, what's that feeling in my stomach? Like, I don't fully think that's right for me or fully agree with what's being said about me. And so to trust that and to want to know more about that feeling. Yes. And and to thus know more about yourself. Mm -hmm. And that's all so important. And I think I might pick up one of the polo shirts that sounds attractive. Yes. I add a couple to people's stockings. You never know. But like, I'm going to check it out for sure. Because it means means a lot that you're there. And it means a lot that you stay there even after Caleb matriculates. Yes. So I would love to be able to help. And I hope that others do too. So thank you so much just for all that. Thank you for your time. Thank you for being here. I really appreciated learning from you and about you. And I look forward to more conversations with you. Thank you, Lisa. And I appreciate you just allowing us to have this space where we can have this dialogue and we can laugh and reflect on some things of our own past to see how it can apply with our student athletes for today. I really appreciate all the work that you've done. Thank you so much. It's been fun and it's got to stay fun. Yes, definitely. (laughs) It's not worth it if it's not fun. You got to have it. Thanks again. Okay. Thank you so much. One of my favorite things about our Sportsypreneur content platform is the opportunity to chat with amazing people in and around the world of sports. We hope you enjoyed the conversation. If you want to connect more, hit us up on Instagram at Sportsypreneur. Thank you for listening to this CadSource production, the Sportsypreneur podcast, the podcast where sports and entrepreneurship collide. Sportsypreneur is a content platform, a collaborative team, and a marketing brand that is all about showcasing leaders and difference makers in and around the world of sports. While we create our own content, we also create content with you. This includes collaborative content and exclusive content for your brand. Think podcasts, blogs, social media, and overall content strategy. Our sports content marketing team is specifically niche for those in the sports industry. That includes sports businesses, athletes, managers, coaches, trainers, entrepreneurs, and business leaders in the sports market. The bottom line is we want to help with your sports-related brand, your content marketing, and your story. Connect with us on Instagram at sportsepreneur or find us online at sportsepreneur.com. Sportsepreneur, the content platform where sports and entrepreneurship collide.